Here we go. If you have your Bibles, sorry, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And uh, while we do that, I want to encourage you, we're going to go ahead and hit the house lights, kick them up. Um, I want to encourage you with this. Um, Today is going to be one of those messages that I'm pretty sure I'll offend somebody. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'll probably step on some toes if you're a believer. I guarantee I'll step on some toes if you're a person who says, I I like my lifestyle a certain way or I'm going to respond a certain way. And the bad thing about that is, is in reality, it's a lose-lose situation for the guy who's speaking. Um, But the truth of the matter also has to be that we get to the heart of what Scripture says about our lives. And last week, we tried to address the issue of what's it mean to be pure. And we talked about the clarity on holiness or the clarity on purity in our lives. And what we talked about was the reality of what sexuality plays out or how sexuality plays out in our lives. And so last week, we looked at what it means to be pure, what it means to be holy in our relationships. And today, we're going to continue the topic, but I'm going to be honest with you um, as we jump into this. Uh, this is not a topic that in today's culture is going to be very popular. Now, I think there's some truth here that we have to, number one, unpack. Number one, I believe that as Christians, as followers, as believers, as a church, that we need the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to interact and respond with those who, who don't know who Christ is or maybe those who are, 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 are seeking after Jesus, but yet sin has so easily entangled us. And so let me be clear on this real quick. In some way, shape, or form, in the church or in, in Christianity as a whole, maybe it's even American Christianity, I don't know, but in American Christianity, what we see is there's a standard or stipulation that homosexuality is worse than heterosexual sin. And I want to be very clear that I believe the Bible is very adamant that all sin sexually outside the bounds of marriage, outside of what takes place, is sin. And I believe that there's not just those aspects, but there are other things that play out. So in the context with which I just started that, I want to read John chapter 8, and I want, to, I want to speak through some things that we can learn today. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says this, then each went to his own home. This is wrapping up what just took place. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus of wrongdoing. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, He straightened up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Verse 9, it says this, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. That includes those who accused him or accused her. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life 
of sin. Now, today, again, a topic that is going to be relatively controversial, not just relatively, completely controversial, is this issue of what we deal with and how we deal with sexuality. And let me clarify this real quick. I believe that Colossians gives us very simple words to speak with. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always, everybody say always, always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I believe based upon what we see in our current cultural climax or, or climate and, and the, 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 the situations that are going on, that homosexual, homosexuality and transgender issue needs to stop being termed an issue, and we need to start looking at the individuals as people. Let me be clear, because I believe that the church has been very open about getting in bed with people who are very active and taking part in heterosexual sin and adultery and things like that, but at the same time, we've been very standoffish and aloof with including people who are homosexual or who struggle with sin that relates to homosexuality. And one of the things that we have to deal with as a church, one of the things we have to deal with as believers is how do we begin to respond How do we deal with this topic? How do we walk through this situation with an urgency, number one, to communicate the truth of the gospel, but yet with a grace that says, listen, we understand the struggles and the sins, but yet at the same time, God's calling us to so much more. See, I believe that the dialogue from the church toward this community needs to change, and we need to have a good dialogue, but also please hear me out. And maybe it's somebody who would be watching online or somebody here who's in person who says, look, I've never told anybody or talked to somebody about this, but I believe that there has to be grace on either side that we sit down and we have a conversation and we begin to understand that there are going to be some things that we're probably never going to agree on as long as we don't follow God's word. Because as a believer, as a Christ follower, we hold the authority of Scripture to be primary, priority number one. And if you're a person who says, listen, I love Jesus, but I don't like this idea of what Scripture teaches, the Bible is very clear. According to Jesus says, Jesus says, you can't have me without having the words of truth. You can't choose to follow me and then deny me by your lifestyle. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say this very clearly, those who may be straight but yet sexually active or straight and dealing with struggles of pornography and adultery and things like that. Listen, you can't chase after Jesus and say you're all about Jesus and continue to walk into the bonds of, of, of slavery to sin. There is a thing in the church that for some reason we've got it jacked up. That is that I can continue to do whatever the heck I want and then I'll go to Jesus for my fire insurance, my life insurance, and please hear me out. I believe that at any point in time on your deathbed, you can confess for, to Jesus and he's going to forgive you. Because when we confess our sins, when we repent and turn and we turn to Jesus, that he is faithful to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. That's important for us to understand. But as a believer, Jesus never condones or accepts the fact that you're going to continue to openly and blatantly in disobedience walk against what Jesus said and think that he's going to bless you in your relationships. And here's the crazy thing about sexuality as we jump into this, because we're going to jump around in a couple areas. Sexuality has become the idol. I want you to understand that. It has become the idol with which we bow down or at which we bow down. 
We bow down in heterosexual sin and go, oh, it's not that bad. We bow down and we've made heterosexual sin to the point where abortions have become rampant and regular as a result of the fact that we're going to say, you're not going to tell me how I should respond sexually. Okay? And all of those things are idolatry. And so what ends up happening is the sexuality aspect in our life becomes the idol with which we bow down. And listen to me, all throughout scripture, when we allow the idolatry to remain in authority or the idol to remain in authority, then Jesus is always under that. In other words, we haven't placed Jesus as king or as authority in our life. And so hear me out when I say this. I believe that the dialogue from the church toward this community does need to change in how we respond. The Bible is very clear. Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so for those of you who say, how can you say that that you're going to follow the Bible and still love me? The Bible is very clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength first. But hear me out, believers. Hear me out, followers of Christ. To love your neighbor as your self. All the law and prophets are built on these two things, is what he says. So it's important that the church responds with great grace and with great love, still standing on the truth. And the reason why I bring that up is I found, I guess recently in in the month of May, there was a pastor in Texas who made some very blatant and, and, and honestly disgusting statements about people who struggle with homosexuality and transgenderism. And what I'm going to say from a biblical perspective is there is no excuse, no regard for us to ever respond. And I'm not even going to say what that pastor said, but to ever respond with statements of violence to the point that we're going to tell somebody that we're going to kill them or they should be killed as a result of their sin. Because let's be clear, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible is also very clear that we are justified freely by the grace that is given in Christ Jesus. The Bible also calls us and says, listen, that just because you are free doesn't mean you're free to walk and do whatever the heck you want. You are free within the bounds of walking in obedience to what God calls you to do. And that includes loving your neighbor as yourself. So when I talk about this dialogue that has to change among the church and with people who are of homosexual and transgender persuasion, then we have to understand that that is not an issue. It is a people. They are people. Just as an alcoholic or a drug addict or a porn addict or anybody else who walks into church or, or a person who's caught in adultery walks into church, we want to be a church that is open to accept all individuals, but please hear me out. And I hope this is where I'm saying I'm going to probably step on some toes. We will accept and love and and serve any and all. But we have to live by the word of God. So we walk in obedience to God's word. Again, letting our words be full of grace, seasoned with salt. So here's the big idea. Here's The idea I want you to get, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that we must stand on the truth of God's word, fighting in the power of the spirit against the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, some of you are automatically thinking, you just said fight, right? And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about having a fight between peoples. I'm not talking about having a fight between people who have different views of sexuality. What I'm talking about is that we fight against the innate nature in our lives to go into sin. So we stand on the truth of God's word and we fight in the power of the spirit 
against the sin that is so easily wanting to bind us up. Because all of us are born with a sin nature. All of us have to begin to understand that when we're born with a sin nature, there's this thing that we go back to, and it's called the sinful attitude. It's the sinful mind. It's the sinful thoughts. It's the sinful actions that have to be tamed or controlled. Paul talks about beating his body, making it a slave. And that's the reality of what we have to do. So here's the idea again. We must stand on the truth of God's word, filtering everything through it. We must fight in the power of the spirit against the sin that so easily entangles within my life. And so here are three things that I saw from today's text that I think we need to jump in. And we're going to look at a couple other texts to answer some of this. But listen to this. Number one, I believe that how the church responds matters. How the church responds in every circumstance and situation matters. See, here in this text, in, in, in John chapter 8, the, 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 the Pharisees are literally referencing Leviticus chapter 18 and then Leviticus chapter 20, the Mosaic law. And in the Mosaic law, that was forbidden. There were things that were set aside that were forbidden. But there's a difference between the Mosaic law and the moral law of what's taking place in God's word. And so God lays out this Mosaic law, but the moral law is also played out. And so it's important for us to understand the moral law that God writes on our heart for us to understand how we relate to people. So listen, the church, I want to say this. We can be right from a scriptural standpoint, but your attitude can be so wrong toward the people who are living in this type of lifestyle. Our attitudes can be so wrong that our attitudes lead us to sin. And those attitudes of sin are the very thing that may stop somebody from responding to the gospel because your arrogance and your pride in being right is so overwhelming, so overpowering that you don't speak with grace, you don't season your words with salt, you don't take away the high road, but instead you go right at it and you try to attack them. And listen, this is something I have, to, I have to constantly battle, even in my own family, because I am a guy that when I'm right, I, everybody's going to know it. Anybody else that way? Right? Like, I'm right, and you're going to know it. And when I'm wrong, I'm still right. Not really, but I like to think I am. And how we respond as a church to speak volumes to people about who Jesus is is. See, we can win a battle and yet in the, in the long run lose the war. And here's what bothers me or here's what worries me about this, because I can guarantee you here's how this takes place. When I say that the tune within the church has to change in how we respond, we always stand on the truth. Always stand on the truth. But how we stand on the truth and how we communicate it can come across very differently. So I stand on the truth of God's word, but yet I learn to listen. I learn to love my neighbor. And listen, there's a lot of things we accept within the church that we're easily able to say, oh, I'll just kind of ignore that. Oh, it's just kind of the way life goes. Oh, homosexuality. Oh, no way, man. When the truth of the matter is that all of the sin is equal to, uh, to God in his eyes. See, God is the one. I believe, who changes hearts and minds. But listen to me on this. If you're on the other side of this, and you may be a believer who says, hey, you're, you're very hateful towards this. Please hear me out, and I, I hope you will hear me out when I say this. Disagreeing with somebody is not hate. There is a big push for churches to be affirming churches. So, listen, so that we 
accept someone for who they are. And I want you to say this, that we will accept people for who they are. And accepting people for who they are doesn't mean we always affirm the way they live. I'm going to use it this way, even an example. Pornography runs rampant in today's society and culture. It's acceptable. Matter of fact, you can go online and I can find website after website after website that'll tell you, if you want a better marriage sex life, you need to watch pornography. And what I'm going to tell you is we will never affirm that. Never. Because pornography is literally looking at a person as an object, not a person. And please hear me out. There are people who make millions of dollars on it. Still not going to affirm it. We could have a porn star or a porn person who's developing movies come to our church and say, hey, I want to tithe my money. I'm making $100 million a year. And I'd say, bro, keep your money. We don't want it. Because you have to begin to understand that we can love a person and not affirm what they are doing. You don't look at that object and go, oh, he hates me. No, it's not that fact. It's not that matter. It's not that we don't love you. It's the fact that we believe that God has a standard. God, I believe, is the one who changes hearts. But listen, we don't have to accept every action from somebody's life and the way they live. And so I'll I'll say this from the get-go, from the standpoint, right from the start. If you're a person who's straight and you struggle with pornography, or you're struggling with, listen, pornography has led the way and opened the door to sex trafficking galore. You realize a lot of the Mexican cartels now, do you know that their number one income isn't drugs? The Mexican cartels now, their number one income is trafficking of people. Anybody know that? Did you know that? Number one income for the cartels out of Mexico is trafficking people. Pornography And sex addiction leads to sex trafficking. We will never affirm those. Never. Because it doesn't align with God's word. We will still love the person who's trafficked. We will still love the person who is the one who trafficked. We're going to stand on the truth of the gospel and share the gospel with that person, but we will never affirm what they do. But number two, when I talk about this, how the church responds matters. Yes, that's the church. But I want, you to, I want to speak to the people who may be stuck in this lifestyle. Listen, you say things like this. If you loved us, you would affirm our lifestyle. If you valued us and loved us, you would learn to listen and accept us for who we are. And I believe that we do have to accept you for who you are, but we don't have to accept what you do. Here's the reality. If I believe what the Bible says is sin... If I believe what scripture tells me is sin, is sin, and if I believe living in opposition to what the Bible says is a matter of eternity and it matters to God's heart, then me not telling you the truth that it matters to God's heart and it matters in relation to eternity is hate if I don't speak truth. So please hear me out when we say this. Just because you don't affirm a person's lifestyle doesn't mean you hate them. Just because we don't align and see the same avenue or the same way doesn't mean we hate you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make the call very specific that I believe it is our job to love everyone who is outside the body of Christ, but to stand on the truth. See, when we sacrifice, listen, when we sacrifice truth for inclusiveness, 
it always becomes weakness. When we sacrifice truth for inclusiveness, in other words, there's a balance. We want you to know that we love you, that we care for you, that we are concerned for you. If you are a straight person who's struggling with adultery and, and, and heterosexual sex outside of the bounds of marriage, and maybe it's, it's pornography and adultery and things like that, we want you to know we love you, but I'm never going to condone your lifestyle. I will never affirm that that is a way that brings honor and glory to God. Romans chapter 12 last week, we talked about it. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's true and and proper worship. And so it's important for us to understand that. So we stand on the truth of God's word. We fight in the power of the spirit against the sin that so easily entangles us. And here's where it really comes down to. I believe that Satan wants nothing more than to devour, not just the church, but to devour the message of the church, to steal your identity and who you are in Christ and what Jesus wants to make you. So here's number two. We said number one was how the church responds matters. Number two, that Jesus doesn't condemn, but he offers grace. Every believer should be thankful for that statement right there. Because for some reason, we've set the scale up. That's bad. This ain't so bad. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 real quick. 1 Corinthians 6. We were in there a little bit last week. We're going to unpack just a little bit more this week. He says, starting in verse 9, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. In other words, there's deception that runs around. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. Because those were all just a list of everything. Yes, there's the sexual immorality, but what else does it say? Slanders, drunkards, swindlers. You ever cheated somebody? You ever slandered somebody? Last I checked, everybody's in junior high at some point. Pretty sure you slandered somebody. Listen, it's important for us to understand the importance that sin plays in our life. All of us were born with the sin nature. All we like sinners or all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned our own way. It's important for us to play that out, but it's important for us to see how God wants us to respond or how God wants us to act. And then listen to what he says in verse 11. And this is where it gets kicked in. And that is what some of you, what's it say? Were. That is what some of you were. But, here's the gig, I love this, I call these the biggest but statements in the Bible. This is a big but statement. But, you were what? Washed. You were what? Sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So here's what takes place in Scripture. Jesus doesn't condemn, but he always offers grace. Why? Because grace is the very thing we need. Grace is the thing that God paid the price for our sins by Jesus' death on the cross so that I wouldn't have to pay the price for my sins that I couldn't pay anyways. I couldn't buy it. I couldn't earn it. No matter how much we talked about last week. Remember what we talked about last week, the Corinthian people? how they would show homage to Aphrodite. 
They would have sex with the temple prostitutes, and as they had sex with the temple prostitutes, that was their act of worship toward the, toward the god Aphrodite in the Roman culture in Corinthians, and it's important, or in Corinth, it's important for us to understand that. That our spiritual act of worship is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. To never bring forth an unholy offering, but to offer a holy offering only to him. So he says, that is what some of you were. Now, there is a statement, and I believe that there is a statement that goes around. It's like this. Well, I was created that way. Let me be very clear. Let's hear what scripture says again. All are sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How are you and I created? We're created in God's image, but we all have a sin nature. That is that we have to learn to do right. We have to learn to follow God's word. We have to teach ourselves how to respond and how to believe and what to believe and things like that. So it's important for us to understand that when people say, I was born this way, I was created this way. Listen, you were created in God's image, but there is a sin nature with which you tend to operate, and everybody has one, everyone. Everybody's sin nature is a little different, though. Like in my mind, I can sit back and go, I don't understand, I cannot justify, and I will never, please hear me out, we will never accept pedophiles or pedophile sin. Never. That person's a sinner that needs the grace of Jesus Christ, though. It's important for us to play this out, that Jesus doesn't condemn but offers us grace. See, Jesus begins to work in your heart and in your life and in your actions and in your thoughts and in your beliefs. So people say, well, I was created this way. To a certain extent, you're correct, yes. But the Bible is also very clear that we don't give in to the sin nature, that we don't allow sin to have control because sin is what leads us to destruction and death. And Jesus says, I've come to have, give you life and life more abundantly. Matter of fact, it says that he created us to be new. And then here's number three from John chapter eight. John chapter eight. Here's the third thing I want us to see. Jesus calls us to leave our sin and follow him. Listen to what he says. After he says, he says, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and what? What's he say? Leave your life of sin. See, here's the reality of how we play this out in our everyday lives. All of us have a sin nature. All of us struggle with difficulties of sin and thinking, oh, I can do this and I can get away with it and I'll confess my sins because he is faithful and just. And while that is true, that is completely true. Listen, when I come to Jesus with a repentant heart and yet I turn and walk in disobedience consistently and constantly saying, God, I know what your word says, but I am choosing to go the opposite direction. You have rejected the very grace that Jesus offered. You have said, and I want to flip over to Romans chapter 1, because here's what he says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, right? And then in verse 24, he jumps down. You can read the rest of that if you want to, but listen to what it says. 
It says in verse 21, sorry, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged this and the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. And then in verse 24, it says this, therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and serve created things rather than the creator. Here's the important aspect that takes place. It's important for us to understand and see that Jesus calls all of us to leave our sin, to confess our sin and turn from it. That's the repentance aspect. Repent means to turn from, that I turn from the sin that so easily entangles. I saw this great quote and I believe it's something we all have to understand. Homosexuality doesn't send you to hell just as being heterosexual doesn't send you to heaven. Jesus sends you to heaven. Our sins send you to hell. When we don't confess our sins, then we set ourselves up for failure because what we're doing is we're chasing after answers and directions in life that are never gonna fulfill us. See, what sends you to hell is refusing to allow Jesus to be Lord and allowing sexuality to be the idol that you worship. Jesus is to be the center of our life. Regardless of how that plays out in our life, Jesus is to be the center. So whether it's in your refusal to let Jesus be Lord over your sexual life, or in your refusal to obey him in every area of your life, do you give Jesus control over everything? Because Jesus calls us to leave sin and to follow him. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to be sinless. But it means that you learn to take part through the power of the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to convict and to guide and coerce and to communicate the truth to your heart so that you can take part in the battle against the sin in your life. I want to give you a couple things as we close. How do I respond when someone I know shares with me? Number one. As a Christian, I don't think we should freak out, right? You don't go, oh my gosh. Like when I have a buddy come up and he's like, yeah, I've been sleeping with this girl. I don't be like, oh my, what? Hold on a second. You don't freak out. I believe that you got to be open and thank them for being open and trusting you. I think you have to assure them that you aren't afraid and you're not going to reject them. See, here's my worry today, and please hear me out when I say this. My worry is today that maybe there's a person who's listening, whether it's homosexual or transgender person, who you feel like I am rejecting you. Please hear me out. I don't believe that we're called to reject. I believe we are called to stand on the truth of God's word. But I believe that we're to do that with love and with grace and to at the same time deal with the sin that so easily entangles all of us. Let us know. Let us do this. Number five, let them know that God loves them. Let them know that Jesus died for them. And be realistic. Listen, that coming to Christ doesn't mean that it all goes away. And every addict and every person who's struggled with sin in your life goes, thank you, Lord. Because I can guarantee you there are some in here who you've never struggled with homosexual sin or thoughts like that, but oh my gosh, 
when it comes to pornography or adulterous thoughts and things like that, it just throws you off. We should all be glad and be realistic that coming to Christ doesn't mean that everything just goes away and all of life is going to be fine. It's a process. It's a walk. So how do we respond as a church when somebody shares that? I believe that we have to be the church that stands up and says, listen, we are open and loving and caring, but we will always stand on the truth of God's word. And that is this, that the truth hurts when it calls or corrects our sin. There's not a point in time in my life where the Bible has corrected my sin that it hasn't hurt. Because deep down inside, I know it's wrong. Deep down inside, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but at the same time, it's like, that's called the sin nature. And God wants to work in your life to correct that sin nature. And then number seven, I believe, is that we pray with them. Pray with them, pray for them. So what is the church to do as a result? Preach all of God's word as the standard. Don't avoid problems. That we guard the truth of God's word. That's number two. That number three, we speak the truth about all sin and extend God's forgiveness to all who come brokenhearted repentance of sin. That we share the gospel and call people to faith. That the church needs to be a place. Listen, the church needs to be a place where people can openly talk about their sin. And that statement right there just threw quivers up some of your backs. Because the minute we start talking about sin is the minute the reality starts to hit and we go, man, this is a lot more messy than I thought. Isn't it? Like, are you prepared if somebody was to come up and go, this is my greatest sin, this is my greatest struggle, and I need somebody to walk, walk me through it, to walk with me during the difficulties and the storms, that when my walls are in ruins, that Jesus can rebuild my walls. That when my body feels broken and these bones are dead, that Jesus is the one who speaks life into my life and life into my soul and makes me a new creation. Are you and I willing to put in the hard work? In a couple weeks, and I'm encouraged by this, I met a gentleman about 20, golly man, it's been 24 years ago. There was a gentleman who spoke on campus at SBU when I was there, loved every bit of it. We did a, a, a guys, if you want to call it a guys, men's, whatever, college men's, uh, just like a two-day retreat, and he spoke. Well, recently, the same gentleman, um, I say recently, I don't know how long ago, he spoke at camp this year on a day, um, and we're going to have him here. I, I can't tell you when. We're working on a date to get him set up, but he's going to come in and preach. And a guy named Samson Latchison, who's out of Springfield. Okay, so Corey knows him. We're working on getting him to come up. Samson is a Christian man who has struggled with homosexual lifestyle his whole life. And he was chosen to abstain as a result because he's acknowledged what Scripture teaches. Not what the church teaches, what Scripture teaches teaches. And so I'm encouraged by that. And we're going to have him come up and we're going to have him share. But please hear me out when I say this. I believe, number seven, the last one on the second part was the church to do, that we must strive to be a community that welcomes all who hate their sin and struggle against it, even when that struggle involves failures and setbacks. See, 
I believe that the dialogue between the gay and transgender community in the church needs to be open. And the problem is right now, the chasm is so far divided. I don't know how we get there. But what I do tell you is this, that when you have a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a person you love, family member, who all of a sudden comes out and says, hey, this is who I am that I think the furthest thing from Jesus' mind was to disown him, to kick him to the side and say, I want nothing to do with you. I think it was every bit of us to love on them, even in the midst of their sin. Because Jesus loved me first. And I share the story consistently about how as a high schooler, what I did with partying, Drinking, fighting, running from cops. And all I can think is if Jesus saved me, Jesus can save you. The struggle is, church, is this. Are you broken over those who are sinners? Or are you so stuck in your way and so sinful with your attitude that you think Jesus just died for you and not for everybody else? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Father, we pray. We pray that we be a church that is full of grace. But as we're full of grace, God, we would stand on the truth that we love. We love people regardless of where they come from and what they've struggled with and the past that they've brought in. But God, we love them so much also that we stand on the truth of your word. God, that your word corrects each and every one of us. And the first thing that we have to do in reality based upon scripture is to look at the plank in our own eye before we even look at the sawdust in somebody else's eye. And so God, as, a, as we think back to John 8, where these Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the ones who were supposed to be the leaders who led the, the early church, the early, the early Jewish people, that what they meant was for destruction of a woman who was caught in sin. Jesus turned into an opportunity to preach life. That life is the very thing you offer us, a life more abundant in Christ. And that includes in every avenue of sin in our lives. That God, you do not take sin lightly. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And yet we so oftentimes come in callously thinking and just throwing around sin like it's no big deal when you've called us to live holy lives set apart and different, that we deal with our sin, that God, as we walk in our lives of, of, of faith, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, that we deal with the sin, that we fight against it through the power of the Spirit and with the help of other people. That's the call of the church, that together in the strength of the Spirit, with the power of Jesus and the words of God, that we can overcome the sin that so easily binds us and entangles us because that is exactly what Satan wants to destroy us. Father, if there's anybody here today who may be struggling with just sin in general and they've never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, that today is the day. They don't delay 
The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe on the cross, or believe that he died on the cross and rose again, that you will be saved. You can confess that right where you're at. And hear me out, believers. From here on out, Jesus is working in your life, in your heart, so that when you read his word and you hear his word preached and you listen to somebody talk about the goodness of God in their life, that God is calling you to repentance every day. That we see our need more and more for Jesus in the gospel every day. And we also look at others and we see the need for the love and the grace of Jesus. Father, we pray that you do a great work in us. You do a great work here in the Church of Three Trails. You do a great work in the churches around the city of Independence, around the state of Missouri, around the United States, and around the world. That God, the chasm that has been so built that is so far apart, can be brought closer together, that we can have conversations, that we may continue to disagree on outcomes, but Lord, we can do it with grace, we can do it with love, and we can do it where we don't burn a bridge, but we leave a bridge open and a door open for somebody to walk back across and walk back through and respond to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.